You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Implantable cardiac devices can prevent death from an arrhythmia, but they may also prolong the dying process, making it more distressing. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Timothy Quill, Professor of Medicine, Psychiatry, and Medical Humanities at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and the Chairman of the Ethics Committee of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. Dr. Quill, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Quill, give us an ICD-101. Well, ICDs, uh, or implantable cardiac defibrillators, are basically devices that can uh, do a limited kind of cardiopulmonary resuscitation immediately on a patient. So they're implanted like a pacemaker in a patient. They often function as a pacemaker, so they can provide stimulation if the heart rate goes too too slow to speed up the heart main thing is if the patient goes into ventricular fibrillation or a lethal arrhythmia, it can provide the heart with a shock that can re-institute uh, a functioning rhythm. So, And they can do that immediately. So there's a sensor and, a, and an ability to shock the patient immediately. These devices uh, uh, do prolong life. There have been some studies to show that they are effective. They are being very, very widely put into patients who are at risk for arrhythmias now. There's a whole industry around putting them in right now, which I think is has its uh, good parts and bad parts. What are the bad parts? The bad parts uh, are that they are being put into people who are very near death, and uh, they make the dying process more complex because it's... Uh, then there's another decision as death really approaches about turning these things off, which I think is a very hard decision for patients and families. They may deprive people of, uh, uh, and this is this would be a controversial framing of this, I suppose. But you know, dying of a cardiac uh, arrhythmia, you die pretty quickly and easily. And if you have an ICD and and you have bad heart failure, which most of these patients do, you're likely to be shocked a lot toward the end of your life, potentially, and also you may die of more, much more severe problems, shortness of breath, that are hard to, hard to treat. Uh, we ha- uh, as an example of sort of the controversy of these cases, we just uh, had a consult on our palliative care service of somebody who'd been in the hospital for the last month and the last three or four months. She'd been in and out of the hospital probably three of the last four months. She had a ventricular fibrillation arrest from which she was resuscitated about a week before we saw her. She had an ICD put in, and uh, then she thought about all of this and uh, said, this is way too much, and I, I really want to stop uh, treatment. So we consulted with her, consulted with her doctor. She was very unstaged and turned off uh, this $50,000 ICD one week after it had been put in because really when she thought it through, she didn't really want it. Now, again, I don't fault her in this process, but I really do think we've got to think a lot more carefully about who we're putting this in, what are the implications of putting it in. So what is your best advice if someone like this woman comes to a physician and says, I want an ICD? Most people don't say they want it, but the, the indications are pretty broad for people with advanced uh, heart failure. And I just think we need to think through 
where they are in in life's trajectory and whether they are really the people. And 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 many people are benefiting from these devices. So I'm not saying that they're they shouldn't be put in. But I think the more the closer to death a person is, and the, inevitably, uh, the more advanced their heart failure, the more we should think two or three times before we put it in rather than after. Now, again, a lot of people with advanced heart failure have seen a lot of medical intervention. A lot of them will endure lots of suffering to live a little bit longer. And they, they and if they're in that group right now, they should probably get it in ICD. It, it's one of the things that might allow them to live a little bit longer. We don't, as a, as a society, look at the economics of this at all. And until we do, I think we should put defibrillators into such people. But but we should have that conversation with such patients who are really at risk of dying, who, for whom the benefits are not all that clear. And is $50,000 an average price? It's very expensive, particularly with the numbers that are being put in. There's a device cost, there's a surgical cost, there's a hospitalization cost, there's a lot of costs involved in this. And how are they implanted? It's very much like a pacemaker insertion. So it's a little compact device that goes underneath the skin and then there, then there's a line or a wire run through a vein from this device uh, into the heart. And then how are they turned off? There are two ways to deactivate them. In an emergency, let's say somebody was dying and in a code situation and you wanted them not to be shocked anymore or somebody was imminently dying and and you didn't want the ICD to go off there are magnets one can put over an ICD which will deactivate them while the patient dies very important to know where your magnets are now because so many people have these devices in otherwise they could get a serious shock at the end of their life or a serious series of shocks but the other way is to is to more permanently deactivate, and there each type of ICD has a way to electronically deactivate the defibrillar part of the device. So you need to know which what specific device it is, and then find somebody who has a deactivation device. Usually, it's the folks who've put it in. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Timothy Quill, discussing implantable cardiac devices in the terminally ill. Dr. Quill, how has the technology evolved? Well, I think the even more controversial than ICDs are the ventricular assist devices, which are versions of the artificial heart, which were initially developed as a bridge to transplant for people who needed uh, something to carry them over until a a new heart was available from an organ donor. So ventricular assist devices take over the pumping function of the heart when the pump uh, is failing and do this mechanically. So it used to be when your heart stopped and couldn't pump anymore, you know, you died. And now that isn't what happens. You now have a choice uh, about whether you want a ventricular assist device. And again, it used to be originally that this was a bridge to transplant, but now it's it's a potential, what's called a destination device. So you can have one of these artificial hearts put in permanently. And uh, And there are people who live reasonably well for a period of time with these devices uh, put in. If you look at the advertising for them, they have relatively young people with a little pack on their back swinging a golf club, uh, you know, as the way the imagery works. But in, but in fact, these are putting, being put into sicker and sicker patients now who 
want to have every possible means to extend their life. So our people who aren't transplant candidates. And I think there's enormous uh, challenges down the road with this. Again, the economics of this are completely unsustainable. Uh, if we're going to start putting these in everybody who's dying of heart failure, uh, who isn't going to be a uh, transplant candidate. Uh, and there's also just ethical issues. The, the quality of life for a lot of people is very uh, not good after they have this put in. Some people it's reasonably good for a time. There are all kinds of complications. And then if somebody has an artificial heart and they get sicker, turning off an artificial heart is a is one of the most daunting dilemmas because if you really turn that off and someone's totally dependent on it, they die immediately. So it's very different than turning off virtually any other device. You take somebody off a ventilator, they may breathe for a while or even a long while. Turn off an ICD, people don't die immediately. Stop dialysis, people may live. I mean, Art Buckwald uh, stopped his dialysis and he lived for, you know, over a year. But this is a pretty big thing to turn off. So the, the weight of the decision then the families have to make after going through all this is just huge. So these, and, and this is right here, right now, we are seeing these things put in. Sometimes they're put in in uncertain circumstances. So somebody's in bypass, things are not going well, they might survive with a ventricular assist device put in for a time. And then a week or two weeks later, it's clear their heart isn't going to recover. So everybody's got this now new device, new dilemma. And are they viewed as life-sustaining treatment? Oh, you bet they are. What special precautions do physicians need to be aware of when dealing with these types of situations? The, if a device is being considered in a person and, and you're not sure up front whether it's the right thing to do, you know, it's a patient that is not the ideal candidate, I, my, my view is that you, it's wise to get consultation up front, either with ethics or, or with palliative care, depending on what you have available at your institution, just somebody who is not necessarily invested in putting in the device. Because I think the more people can really get fully informed before they do something like this, uh, the better. So I think the upfront consultation in, in the difficult cases, and then I think if one is put in an uncertain circumstance and it's not going well, I think conversation right in the early going with ethics and palliative care is a good idea just because I think these are the, the dilemmas created by these devices are huge for families and, and for everybody. And mechanically, what type of information should medical professionals gather if they're dealing with terminally ill patients who may have these devices implanted? Oftentimes, it's, it's people who are familiar with the devices who are making these decisions. But, off, but if there's a hard decision to be made and perhaps a palliative care doctor or perhaps the patient's primary care doctors get back involved to help the family through this uh, decision-making process, I think talking to the cardiologist and getting familiar with the particulars of the device, what are the dilemmas, I think is, is very critical. The devices are changing rapidly in terms of the what they can do and what they can't do. It's a brave new world, I think, in, in this area. So we have to get, if we're going to be the ones helping families through these dis discussions, we have to sort of get educated about what the devices are, what they can do, how hard are they to turn off, what are going to be the consequences of turning it off. What led to your passion for quality end-of-life care? Two things that happened when I was a medical student and a resident. Uh, when, when I was a medical student, I worked with a uh, fellow who was both a psychiatrist and an internist who worked on the oncology service, and he would 
uh, sit down and talk with the people who are undergoing these uh, amazing treatments and just listen to them and listen to the complexity of what they were going through. So that led to an interest in learning with people about their experience going through these experiences. And then when I was a resident, I I loved the technology. I loved doing CPR, but I also saw things that just to me were astonishing about people being resuscitated who were so clearly going to die and people getting all kinds of very, very difficult uh, dilemmas and people then being completely at a loss about what to do. So that led to my joint. I, I still love the technology, but I also have became an, an interest at the same time in hospice care out of that to think there must be a better way of dealing with these issues that we have in part created. Dr. Quill, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. I'm Susan Dolan, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.